Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 71, audio production with Linux, recorded October 21st, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. This week, we have us, have, have us with, we have with us. Easy for you to uh, say. Not so much. Uh, the famous, or shall we say infamous, El Wapo, no, uh, Ryan Canestro of Ditch Road Records, but you probably know him best from the home recording show. And he... Hi there, everybody. Infamous, that means internet famous, right? That's infamous. You're so famous, you're infamous. Um, Mail plane. <laughs> that's a Hubman 401. So, uh... Chris Neves, our command line godfather, isn't with us this week. He is in a Taekwondo or karate, I think it's Taekwondo tournament. He is currently kicking somebody in the face for fun. Um, and so we brought Ryan Why in. did I ever quit Taekwondo? When you, when you put it like that. So we brought Ryan in to uh, give us other geeky goodness. He's not only a professional uh, sound guy, but he's also a genuine bona fide Linux geek. But here with me, as always, is Mr. Seth the Gooey Kid Anderson. Hiya, Seth. How's it going? Hey, Mark. Hey, Ryan. Doing pretty good. That's great. Excellent color commentary. That's why we have you on, Seth. Yeah, I'm not the best <laughs> color commentary man in the business for nothing. So, Ryan, just to, uh, uh, in a way of introduction, I gave you the 30,000-foot the view. Tell the guys here who you are and why should we care? Well, you shouldn't, really. Okay. So, uh, but, uh, moving right along. <laughs> enough said no i'm a i'm a guy who likes audio and i i work in all things audio and uh i'm a geek as well so i love to get in there and, and hack things apart i like to build electronics i like to play with computers i love linux because i can get in there and do whatever i want to do really you know your imagination is your only limit so uh that's kind of how i come around to, to all things i just want to get in and find out how it works tear it apart and then make it do what i need it to do and so, uh, why not just do that with your trusty iMac? Uh, well, I do do a fair amount of command line stuff in with the Mac as well, but uh, I, I do like the Mac because of Pro Tools, and it's kind of uh, what I need professionally. But every other computer in my house is running some kind of flavor of Linux. Excellent. So, before we get too far in, we will do our regular uh, tech news that has actually sort of become like 90% of the show here lately, but that's okay. Mm. We like it. So if you've got any news or commentary, feel free to jump right in there. Um, and the first off is the Atari 2600 is 35 years old. I'm 40 is, years wow. old. And so that means I got it when I was five because I got one when they first came out. I was that guy. Yeah. I, I was born am, in 76. I'm kind of sad. <laughs> I did not realize it that last Sunday was actually the day. It was uh, October 14th. 1977 is when it first came out. Um, so that's pretty amazing stuff. 35 years ago for the Atari 2600. Man, I used to love War was my favorite uh, game. Combat. I don't remember Combat, yeah. yeah. You know, that was my favorite game on the 2600. But I Not never, just because that's the game it came with? with? Right. <laughs> yeah, it came yep. with, uh, with Combat and yeah, uh, we bought ours with Pac-Man. Which bore absolutely no resemblance to the the arcade version of Pac-Man, right? Uh, no. But it didn't matter. We loved it anyway. I especially love the sound effects. Ang, 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 bleep, 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 bleep. You know, it's, it's, I just built an Atari Punk Box, which has all of those 
uh, Atari sounds. It's a little synthesizer you can build. It's a little kit. And you just turn the knobs and you get all of those Atari sounds. You can get the, the pole position kind of car sound, get the squealing. It's, it's pretty cool. That does sound cool. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, look up Atari Punk and, uh, it's probably, I think, 20 bucks for the kit, a little bit of soldering. And, uh, then you got a little box with two knobs and some switches, plug it into a, a guitar amp or a recording. And, uh, the thing is nuts sounding. Awesome. My wife even liked playing with it. She, she doesn't like any of this stuff. Well, there you go. If you can, if it can get spousal approval, you know it's something. There you spousal. go. Um, so yeah, I were I was I conned my grandfather into buying that for me. I actually, uh, begged him for months on end. My brother and I we teamed up on him, and for like the only thing we said to him for like a year was Atari, 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 and finally he broke down. And he bought us that, which was, it was like $7 million back then or something. Yeah. Uh, we got that and we got- With inflation. Yeah. We got the one game. And then uh, ColecoVision started like banging out, or is it Activision? One of those two started banging out knockoff games, whereas the regular Atari ones were like 35 bucks each. Theirs were 12 And man, we started stocking up when that happened. And we- Oh, the sweet memories. Yes. Yeah, just uh, they have the uh, old uh, Atari games on the Nintendo DS. You can buy those, and they'll give you like 20 games per cartridge. And uh, I was playing one of those with my son, and I don't think he gets the Atari. He, he <laughs> yeah. doesn't understand yeah. the, the retro kitsch factor. He likes the uh, the early Nintendo stuff, but the Atari stuff uh, I think might be a little bit uh, – you, you kind of had to be there. See, I can go back even a little farther than that. I can, my, a buddy of mine down the street had an Intellivision back before wow. the Atari with the controllers built in. And mm-hmm. you had pulled them out that. with that Those spiral cord uh-huh. that was like, it was a 20-foot cord that gave you effectively three feet of range. And you had to sit. And there are all those buttons on there that never seemed to right. work. Yeah, and, and all you could do was like Pong with the paddles. And then there was the Pong machine. The whole machine was Pong. There was no cartridges. It was just Pong. Yeah, and then there was these things called table tennis. Where there was like paddles and a table with a net on. No, wait. I'm sorry. That's, that's a whole different thing. <laughs> and then there was a rock and a cave. <laughs> and Do you remember the old football game that was? It had like the X's and the O's and the like little circle ball yes, built in, and yes. you, and someone else would try to spin that thing as fast as you could. Uh, my brothers played that. It's you know, uh, and dude, that game it was fun. Just it was as fun watching people play it as trying to actually play the game. Because they're there and they're, you know, and this, they get tired and they switch out with somebody and you're just trying to, to spin that little ball in the middle of the table. It was, uh, I have fond memories of watching my brothers <laughs> play that game. Yeah, it's one of the first uh, sit-down games. I remember that because it was, it was a console game that you sit down at. That was revolutionary. So while we're on the subject of gaming, um, our good friend Chris would be sad to hear that his beloved Steam... Uh, has recently released news of a vulnerability uh, in the Steam code, which is fascinating because it's not uh, any of the games on Steam. It's not the Steam um, website, but it's actually the Steam client and the way it handles uh, URLs in certain browsers. Uh, Basically, a a specially crafted uh, URL can uh, take over your machine if you've got Steam on it, which is from a geek standpoint it's kind of cool you know if you're a right. steam user it's not so cool but just from the hey that's cool technology that's kind of neat that somebody figured that out 
Yeah, and apparently it's more of a, just a protocol thing because, uh, like, if you keep your, it's one of those if you can block it by disallowing programs launching a browser. Right. Um, are you going to put the story in there? Because uh, I hadn't heard about it, and it was an interesting read. Yeah, I did. So I, I actually do some research for the show once in a while. You know, I'm <laughs> wow. so surprised about it. Well, no, I figured Chris put it in just because I saw Steam. I thought, oh, Chris must have put this in there just uh, because his contribution since he wasn't going to be here. Uh, no, no, it was me. I was cool. trolling the web, and that came out there. So um, <laughs> I, I don't know if this is news or not. I don't really know what this means. Microsoft sold out of their 499 Surface pre-orders. It's actually not released until... I think a couple of days after this comes out. Yeah, the, the Friday after this comes out. Uh, but they've already sold out of all their pre-orders, which means A, they didn't have enough pre-orders available, or B, people really want a Windows 8 tablet, and I kind of don't think it's the second one. Well, <laughs> and the thing they didn't sell out of is the more expensive one, which is the exact same thing with a case attached to it. So... You know, I wonder, are they pushing, are they trying to get you to buy, because it's $100 more for a $5 part, basically. So <laughs> they get a lot more margin off of that. But, um, you know, you figure they have people whose job it is, is to know how many are going to be sold. And they try to figure out that number, and it turns out it wasn't high enough. So... No, see, I think that's exactly the plan. I think they, they estimated a demand of a million, and so they right. made... 200 pre-orders available so that they could say <laughs> we sold out in 24 hours right yeah yeah you know i'll i you know i don't know because i personally i think i'm going to hate the windows 8 thing because i i'm i like to have the opportunity to go in and tinker and um you know and it seems like they become very apple-like which is you know, I understand Apple makes great products and they quality control and you have one piece of hardware. And if you don't like that one piece of hardware, you don't need that one piece of hardware. Um, and I just I don't like the fact that they're taking the customization out of the, the play and you're kind of forced to uh, drink the Microsoft Kool-Aid. Well, this is something yeah. we've talked about many times on this show before is the right. the appliancification of the OS. All, all the OSs, all the major OSs are becoming more appliance-like, including our beloved Linux. Um, the distros are all becoming more appliance-like. You know, the uh, uh, Ubuntu has been pushing hard for this um, uh, tabletized interface, even though tablets, you know, there aren't a lot of tablet computers out there. There are tablets, but there aren't tablet computers. Microsoft is going to really be the first to bring those to market in a big way, and they haven't released them yet. That's, you know, the this tablet that we're talking about is their RT tablet, which is essentially Windows Phone. But their, their promised uh, tablet tablet that's supposed to be a regular, like, computer with an Intel processor and the whole bit uh, is still lagging behind. So it's it's just, it bothers me. Well, they me tried this years ago and it bombed. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I was a big fan, big fan of the original Windows convertible tablets. Like, I, I had a Toshiba Portage with the spin-around screen, and I loved that. The handwriting recognition was actually excellent on it, and I thought it was the best combination. It was a little heavy, of course, uh, but I thought it was the best combination of a PC and a tablet. Uh, but then Apple comes out with the iPad and re releases something that is incredibly 
uh, stripped down in terms of functionality, but is really easy to use. And that's the direction everybody's gone. And I think that's yeah. the wrong direction. Yeah, well, that's the way the direction to go to sell the most product. It's the same thing as Bud Light. It's the lowest possible common denominator to still be called beer, but it's the number one selling beer in the country. So they're just making it more palatable to more people. And I get that from trying to make money standpoint, but at the same time, you're, you're stripping out so many features, like you said, it makes it a lot less interesting for guys like us. Yeah. And so there will always be this, you know, hacker community. I mean, there are people who hack appliances now. I mean, I'm sure you could find somebody doing great things with toasters somewhere. Um, I'm that kind of guy, not quite <laughs> toasters, but yeah, I, I hack appliances. I hack electronics. I, I'm into that. Yeah. The Tim, the Toolman Taylors will always be adding outboard motors to their blenders. Extra uh, power. And, and that's where, um, that's where, unfortunately, I think the computer enthusiast is going to end up being in the future. The, the appliances, they're going to leave us behind. Just like, you know, nobody knows how to work on their own car anymore. Uh, you, there are mechanics and they're highly paid technical specialists who know how to do it. Uh, but the the day of like the old Model A where everybody worked on their own mechanics or, you know, if you own a Harley, for example, uh, every, everybody works on their own vehicle. Um, <laughs> that's a that's a joke. That's a, that's an insult to you, Harley. That's right. I want to hear the email. I insulted Harley. <laughs> They're all listening. Yeah. But it's not an insult if it's true, though. Is that's it? right. I want to hear so. one email denying that Harley <laughs> owners don't have to work on their gear. But anyway, um, you know, everything moves in that direction. And I guess it's OK. It's, it's not something we need to fight back against. Uh, but I think that we're maybe pushing for it sooner than we should. Yeah, because the sad fact is most people, and I fall in this, use your computer to check email, do social networking, um, and play games. That you Porn. know, Yeah, well. You know, <laughs> we don't talk about that, Brian. Yeah, th- that's the other show. <laughs> Internet's dirty little secret. Yeah. Right. I, I think I read a statistic once that was like, uh, porn or porn-related searches have been the number one search across all uh, web browser, uh, web search engines since the search engines were created, with the exception of like one week, and that was a week after September 11th, 2001, and then the top search for like three days was bin Laden, and then porn took back over. So it was like normalcy came back to the web uh, shortly Well, I think that. recently Netflix has finally surpassed the bandwidth of porn. Barely, for uh, streaming yes. downloads. Yeah, primetime prime time download. <laughs> Netflix finally has beaten them. I know Took I don't stream. To beat my, down porn. <laughs> yeah. I know my porn usage has changed. No, wait a minute. I'm sorry. I'm not going <laughs> to talk about that. Um, <laughs> uh, also, news this week. Our beloved Ubuntu, or as Chris likes to say, Ubuntu, um, releases 12.10, which is not at all surpri- surprising because... They said they were going to release it in October of 2012. There's only four days left or so. So what yeah. do you know? They made their deadline. Otherwise, it would I like have been those release numbers are the date. What's that? It's useful. The release numbers are the date. That's very useful. Yeah, comes in handy. Unlike, unlike Windows 95, which was first promised in 91. Uh, or iPhone if, 4, iPhone 5, or what? That don't mean There's anything, There's like right? three iPhone 5s. Yeah. It's like <laughs> the seventh iPhone is called iPhone 5. I'm not sure how Windows 8 is like the 13th edition. <laughs> that's true uh, yes but 12.10 available for download now good or bad uh, yeah i just figured you know we're a linux show we should mention it because it it's not the most popular distro anymore but it is still a major one in the linux world and uh of course we'll uh 
give a review of it in the near future once we've had a time to kick the tires and and look at it and we uh we may mention it's a new porn feature uh the oh the, keep talking the amazon store built into ubuntu now uh puts porn right on your desktop without you even searching for it it's really pretty amazing giggity, 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 giggity. uh there's been some uh consternation about that uh <laughs> seems like a bad feature yeah <laughs> one that i'm going to go download right now that terrible feature um yeah i gotta look into that uh, the big complaint but was that it, it's yeah, look into it. Yeah, uh, the big complaint was basically that it appears um, the search algorithm is bad. Uh, anybody who's ever been on Amazon's website knows they're not good at search algorithms, uh, and so you can be searching for something uh, relatively innocuous and get porn pop up in your new Ubuntu store. So Ubuntu has uh, um, created sort of a workaround where basically you can turn off all searching from amazon so it, it's sort of an all or nothing switch uh in response Some might to consider that. it a reach around <laughs> oh oh man <laughs> i i'm sorry i don't know what that means i am pure and chaste and don't understand the reference um <laughs> so uh seth what's this ubuntu stops develop we just said it was released and now we're saying they stopped development uh, this is Ubuntu Tweak, which is sort of like if you are familiar with uh, Tweak UI from the Windows world, it allows you to go in and make a bunch of changes. This is um, Ubuntu Tweak is pretty popular um, in the Ubuntu world, and the guy who it's a way for you to go in and kind of change settings and like an easy to access control panel for a lot of settings. And the guy who did it, um, it has stopped development of it, but part of the reason it's kind of made its news in the Linux blogosphere is his last sentence it says, if making free software is not free anymore, why still doing this? So it's not so much that he stopped developing it. It is that the cryptic, his cryptic sign-off message in developing it was what was so, uh, is what was so newsworthy and got everybody's up up in arms about it because you know ubuntu there or shuttleworth is trying to monetize ubuntu um and then you know and of course we talked last week about the donate now button and you know obviously we've talked that about amazon this weekend last week where they're trying to make money off of it and so you wonder is there something going on behind the scenes that he didn't say um or did he just get tired and fed up with it and move on but with the exception of like one feature, it will work in 1210, which was, you know, just came out. But 1210 will be the last one that it's supported for. All right. So I totally misread the headline. I thought it said that Ubuntu stops development. No, it's the program Ubuntu Tweak stops development. So right. that explains why I was so confused. Yeah, it helps yeah. when you read the article. Yeah, it does. Yeah, well, you know, and I had to, uh, and that's part of the reason I put it in here because I was like confused when I read the headline and I had to go in and like, oh, Ubuntu tweak. Well, what is that? And I had to do some research on it. So that's a good headline. Then it made you intrigued enough to read the article. Yes. Yes. That's what headlines are supposed to do. And, uh, so another headline that really is not going to get anybody's attention is Google announces a $250 Chromebook. Yay. A machine. Nobody wants costs less now. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, but it just seems more, you know, we talked about the tablets and really this kind of goes hand in hand with the next story that Best Buy is apparently developing its own tablet um, that they are going to sell. Um, but yeah, so, 
you know, you have stripped down, not full featured computers, even though the technical specs of the Chrome notebook are, they're not too shabby. I mean, not super great, but they have like Bluetooth 3.0, USB 3.0, a decent amount of RAM uh, in, in wireless. And for 250, they are making it and marketing it has like a throwaway second computer. Yeah. You know, um, because nobody was going to pay $600 for a Chromebook when you could buy a more, more powerful Wintel machine for less money. Um, and, uh, so they are trying to, uh, you know, I don't know. They're just trying to get their brand out there and increase their market share. I don't know. This kind of seems to me like they're cutting their own throat with the uh, with the Nexus tablets that they're coming out with. I mean, they're, right. they're competing with themselves there. Who's going to buy a Chromebook when they can get a tablet? Because uh, the the only reason you would buy a, a laptop over a tablet is if you need more power and more capabilities. But the Chromebook doesn't give you more power or more more capabilities than one of their own tablets. A real keyboard. Well, it does that. True. And you get a 16 gig hard drive and. Um, if uh, but the Nexus doesn't have an external USB slot, I don't believe. Uh, whereas this one does, so you can attach something to it. You could you could attach your DVD player and uh, watch DVDs, which you can't really do. Yeah, it's that got with. a HDMI out too, so you go straight into a TV with it, which is kind of cool. Right. So yeah, I, you know, it's they're not they're not trying to take over the main spot in your house yet. They're just putting themselves as another option. You know, yeah, if you um, need a solid fifth computer in your house, this is the right. way to go. Yeah. See, when I was in education, I'm not in that world anymore, but I, uh, Google pushes really hard the Chromebooks in education, and they tie in with the Google apps for education and give you lots of good administrative stuff, uh, uh, control, because IT guys are all about control. Uh, and so I looked at these really hard, um, and it just it never it never made sense because you 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 it's all it is is a browser. There's nothing more than a browser to it. Um, and so there are other ways to get a kid a browser that don't cost that much money. Uh, and so it just it never made sense to me. If you want to make a good computer for less money, I will I will rally behind that. You know, I was a big proponent of the netbooks uh, for education because they're, they're, they're a real computer, uh, admittedly a low-powered one, but a real computer uh, for not a lot of money, and so they're a great thing. But then the the laptop manufacturers got competitive and started making real, actual laptops for just roughly the same amount of money as a as a netbook. So those kind of went away, and then that space just sort of evaporated. Uh, now everybody's looking at tablets uh, because they cost about the same amount of money two fifty or so for a tablet, some some more. Uh, but if all you want is a web browser. A tablet is a better way to go because you get twice the battery life, and um, it's more portable, and it's it's easier to deal with. So I just think there's a market. I don't see the market there. I don't think there is a market there for the Chromebook. Well, uh, you know, I I don't know that I disagree with you. I don't see the market there, but you know, um, I don't know because with with a 16 gig hard drive, it's got enough space where you could put, you know, some other linux os on it and have yourself a fully powered keyboard um and a fully powered computer that you know you could then issue out and 250 is pretty cheap um you know that's cheaper than netbooks are now and you're competing uh with tablets um so what you're saying 
the Chromebook really should be marketed as uh, a Linux machine rather than than a Google machine, and you think that there's a better market for that? I don't know. I think um, I I honestly don't know. I don't know if there's a market, but you know, obviously, um, you know, there's a market for us. Uh, you know, Apple and a bunch of Linux tablets at ten and eleven inches, and then you know, there's a market for a seven inch, and so. Why isn't there a market for a cheap web uh, laptop? Um, Ryan, well, I just helped my cousin. He had one of those notebooks that had some horrible uh, operating system on it, and I just put in uh, an XFCE uh, with a Ubuntu backend in it, and that thing is night and day better, and yeah. it can handle it. And that would be a, a good choice for something like that if you just wanted to have a, a cool little Linux box in a, a nice little compact uh, form factor there. And Ryan, I have to say, after having listened to many, many episodes of the home recording show, I'm very proud of you for missing all of those inch references and not jumping (laughs) in there. So thank you for for holding that, (laughs) for for holding your inches. And and nextly, the Best Buy has decided to leverage their years of experience in marketing and uh, and producing and manufacturing hardware by selling their own tablet. So I, it's, it's about time, really. I mean, Best Buy has made so many great products over the years. Why didn't they get into making tablets sooner? It's uh, it's really just sort of a no-brainer. Yeah. Um, you know, their Insignia brand, which apparently they do um, high-definition TV, Blu-ray players, that type of stuff. You know, they look at um, Amazon's Kindle Fire uh, and the Kindle Fire HD, which Amazon markets has a storefront you know, you're basically buying access to their store and they see that has really a big threat to, you know, why do I want to go into Best Buy when I can take this tablet with me and order electronics wherever? So they're trying to, I see it as a market has a move to stay relevant in a, a in an internet age. Um, well, let's, let's be keeping honest. People coming in the store. It's not about the hardware. It's about keeping them coming in, right? Right. right. Loss leader. Let's be yeah. honest about what this is. This is uh, Best Buy contacting some Chinese third-party reseller who's already making a tablet and saying, hey, will you slap our yellow tag on it and let us sell them? Just like they do with their, you know, the Insignia brand tablets that you or, or devices that you've already mentioned. Best Buy doesn't make anything. They're not in well, the business of making things. Come on. Apple doesn't make the iPad. You know, the iPad, the Google Nexus, all the Linux things, they're all made by well, Foxconn. Well, I'll, I'll disagree so. with you on that one. They they don't manufacture them, but they do design and engineer and create them. Right. For sure. So, And that's what Google does. Google designed their tablets, and they, f- they find somebody else to manufacture them. So I'm okay with that. But to say that Best Buy has made a tablet is just not true. Best Buy has marketed a tablet. Their design team's been working on it for decades. <laughs> right. Some of their best copyright thieves have been been hard at work. But, uh, you know, a tablet at $250 is not news. There are lots of tablets out there for $250. So uh, um, I, I wonder, you know, it's a 9.7, so basically a 10-inch screen, uh, gigahertz processor, uh, 10-hour battery life. So these are things that you almost have come to expect in tablets. Yeah, all right, what else is a guy? What a, so, but how many have a yellow logo? Right, <laughs> yeah. So I wonder what the what is going to be their uh, incentive for you to buy that as opposed to all the other also ran tablets out there. 
Because I can go out and buy a, a Chinese knockoff tablet right now for a hundred bucks. Right, but you're not going to get your specs aren't quite going to be that good. No, um, but there's you know, nothing unique about these specs at two hundred fifty dollars. Well, yeah, you're you're probably right. I guess I it's been a while since I've checked the knockoff pricing um, and see what they are. But you know, like you know, what's what's so cool about the um, the Amazon the Kindle Fire. There's really nothing special about it, but it seems to be pretty popular and it serves as a front end to Amazon, but not that you couldn't access Amazon right. through the iPad or the Google Nexus or any other tablet out there. So, well, that's, that's sort of my point that the, the Fire is already out there. The, the Google Nexus is already out there at that price point. Right. So, so them coming in and saying, hey, me too. We also have something that costs exactly the same as the other guys. It's, it's I don't think they're going to have anyone that's going to buy one over the other. It's going to be someone walking in the store, seeing it on the shelf, and buying it, just not knowing the difference. And they're trying to keep probably the people walking in the doors uh, that are loyal to stay loyal. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if whenever it, it comes out that it's not 10 or $20 cheaper than the like the Amazon Kindle or whatever of the same size. You know, I'm sure it's going to be a little bit cheaper positioned right there by it. And you're going to have the Best Buy guy hawking the benefits of owning that. So, oh, have you seen the Insignia? You know, this is our brand. That's a good point. Come here and the Geek Squad can support you and all of that versus, you know, good luck trying to deal with Amazon if something goes wrong with this piece of crap. Yeah, so. if they market it that way, I get your point. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. If they say, this is our product and we're going to comp you the three-year warranty that you, that we make you pay uh, for everything else and, and we'll give you customized optimization. Isn't that what they like to sell? Optimization. I know that we yes. deleted some crapware off of it, so we optimized it. That'll be an extra 40 bucks. Oh, um, we, we put the crapware on there to begin with, but shh. <laughs> yeah. So I, I can see that. I, I, I get that now. That's the, virt the vertical marketing there. So they're going to take something that's as good as everything else, doesn't stand out in any other way, and then and try to add uh, their value on top of it. And if you buy it, they make more money than if you buy the other. So Yeah, because they get more juice on it. There's no middleman. Right. Yeah. Okay, you've won me over. I am hereby convinced. Yeah. I don't know if I would buy one yet, but you know that's their rationale. I would think. And because there are there is often overlap between the Linux community and the tinfoil hat community, we a show wouldn't be complete without a couple of shows about big bad companies spying on you. Uh, a couple of articles. Uh, first off, Verizon is tracking app usage. Oh my gosh. But they not know just, how many hours I spend playing Angry Birds. But not just app usage, also browsing habits and geographical location. And then they're packaging it and selling it to marketers and advertisers. You know, it's one of those, if Facebook does that, you know, okay, if you're not paying for the service, you are the service. Right. But you're shelling out big money to Verizon, probably $100 a month or so. And then to top it off, they're taking your information and then they are packaging it and selling it to advertisers. Um and you have to go in, and it's all you automatically agree to this. You have to go in and turn it off now. Well, um, not, not only that, it goes a little farther. There is a deadline which may have already passed. I don't remember, but there's a deadline for when you can opt out, and after that, it doesn't matter 
if you opt out. Because they, they're basically saying, we gave you fair warning. It reminded me of, of uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Well, the plans have been on Alpha Centauri for, for, for years. Well, we've never been to Alpha Centauri. Well, that's your fault. You should take, advan- uh, take an interest in uh, social affairs. So, With perpetuity throughout the universe. Right. So uh, they're, they're basically saying, we, this has been in small print on our website for a couple of months now. And if you don't know, you don't know. And it, and it wasn't until some blogger pointed it out that probably no one would have known. And uh, AT&T has the same sort of thing. The nice thing about AT&T is you can opt out at any time on paper. Yes, you have <laughs> to uh, you have to fill out a form and mail it via U.S. Postal Service snail mail, right. a separate form in a separate envelope for each and every number that you have. So uh, your iPad with wireless has it in addition to your cell phone. And whereas Verizon... At least you can go to their website and click out of it. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure all the other companies have it too, but this was just one that, you know, I, I only heard about it this year. So, uh, or this year, uh, this last week, and I wanted to, uh, bring it to people's attention and pass it along. And, you know, if you don't mind, if, uh, everybody, if advertisers know where you live, and all the porn you're looking at on your uh, smartphone, then you know, go ahead and just let it let it be there. You know, it never occurred to me to look at porn on my smartphone. That's actually a good so idea. So the, the moral of the story is, if you want to be crazy rich, you have to be just at the top of that pyramid. <laughs> right. That's that's it. Now, see, Other than that, there's not much we can do. And no matter what paperwork we send snail mail, they're going to find out another way to get in. Well, yeah, what? and you, all they have to say is, "Oh, we never got that form. Do you right. have any proof that uh-huh. you sent it?" So yeah, you got to send it you registered. Know how reliable the mail is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I uh um have a story that just just this reminds me of back when I used to deal with credit. I don't anymore. I don't have any credit cards. But Discover sent me uh, a letter saying we've raised your interest rate with no explanation at all. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. I had never missed a never missed a payment. Never been late on a payment. I didn't carry a balance. I mean, it didn't affect me that they'd raise my interest rate on something I had no balance on. But still, I wanted to know why. So I called Discover up and said, hey, Discover, I just got this letter that said you raised my interest rate. I just discovered something. And, uh, and they said, uh, yeah, if you want to know, uh, I said, can you just tell me why? I'm, I'm not asking anything else. Just why did you raise my interest rate? And they said, well, I can't tell you that. You have to write this address and they'll answer you. I said, you can't transfer me to somebody? No. Is there an email address I can do? No. Um, so what you're telling me is that does the person who knows this information have a phone? I, I don't know. So what you're no, telling me by a telegram. is there is one guy in the world who knows why my interest rate was raised. He's in a sub-basement with only access to pneumatic tubes that send mail to and from him. And the only way I can get to him is to send a letter. Is that what you're telling me? And they hung up on me. <laughs> and since you called, we lowered your interest, uh, your, uh, your overall credit limit. You're welcome. Yeah. Good day, sir. So it just, it blew me away that there's like, there is no way you're lying to me. There's no uh-huh. way that you have an employee anywhere that doesn't have a phone or a guy next to him with a phone or somebody who can walk over and go, Hey Bob, can you tell this guy why his interest rate was lowered? No, but you have to write it. You have to send him a letter. Yeah. And the people with the most money get to make all the rules. So there's nothing you can do about it. Just have to talk to pneumatic tube guy. <laughs> wow. You're a cheerful guy, Ryan. Um, and realist and not to be outdone by Verizon. Apple is at it again, tracking stuff. Now, remember they said this was a bug 
a while back that they were collecting data and they didn't mean to be collecting data. It was a, it was a, a data, a programming point that they were using for beta testing and they forgot to turn it off. Oops. Uh, well, turns out they're doing it again. Yeah. And they had stopped it with the uh, UDID. I don't, I don't, I think we talked about it, but there was something where people were able to hack that and figure out information about the person. And so they quit using it and that's how they were tracking but now they're back doing it and you can opt out, but it's like, it's not under privacy. It's under like general settings. And, um, I, where I worked, I had, to, I told this to somebody cause our company is switching to iPhones and ditching blackberries, um, like everybody else in the world apparently. But so I had to go in and show them where it was and how to turn it off. The mighty blackberry has fallen from uh, 50% market share last quarter to 5% this quarter. I mean, that, wow. not only is that a big drop, but that's a fast drop. Yeah. It's... The Hindenburg didn't drop that fast. <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah, but you know, the weird thing is, it's like this quarter is the first quarter they're actually having a net loss of users. So it's not so much that they dropped, it's just the market exploded and they stayed the same. Right. And uh, so, and now they haven't, now they're about to, you thought they went from 90 to five, wait till they go from five to 0.5. You know, it, it'll happen so fast. We won't even be able to report it because it'll be old news. <laughs> so, uh, you know, farewell rim. We hardly knew you. I used to be a, a huge Blackberry user back. Even before that, I was a Palm user. I had my old Palm N100 black and white, baby 16 K of Ram. Um, it wasn't even black and white. It was red and white, right? Wasn't it? No, it was sort of green and white. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and so, uh, yeah, I loved that thing. But things better came out, and Palm didn't get better, so I moved to BlackBerry. And the same thing happened. Things better came out, and they didn't get better. So they're hanging all their hopes on their new, what is BlackBerry 10, their new OS, but I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, unfortunately. And, yeah, because, uh, or go ahead. Well, just one other thing. We have uh, a listener comment uh, from Woo-hoo! Joe. Uh, Joe was uh, was one of the people whose emails we read last week, so we had another one. So I'll read to you. He says, Mark and your EDL co-host, and Dor as a visiting co-host, I was happy to hear my email not only read, but answered. I appreciate the advice. You guys really must be desperate for, for something to talk about. So here's another question that might be a show topic or reason to make fun of a listener. Wireless. I've always been worried about the wireless router I have blasting radio waves 24-7 through the little bodies of my two children. This router has been on for as long as my daughter's been alive, almost four years. Uh, Mine is a small Linksys with two antennas. I know that there are always lots of RF being blasted around by TV stations, radio stations, cell towers, and I think those old microwave antennas are still transmitting, but I couldn't say for sure. But my concern has always been that those are always from miles away and the strength is degraded over distance with a wireless router. The transmitter is only a few feet away. So is it silly for me to worry about the health consequences of having an RF transmitter in my house? Do you and your fellow it professionals worry about the RF from wireless routers? So, uh, yes, people do worry and no, there's no reason to worry. Um, it's if, if you're in the U S you know that everything goes through some government agency, uh, including uh, RF transmitters, not only the FCC, but the FDA get in on that. And they have a, uh, a scale of how much uh, non-ionizing radiation is dangerous to the average human. 
average being like a five foot eight inch, 180 pound male. So your kids, of course, going to be a lot less. Uh, but the average rating, whatever that is, the the uh, typical uh, wireless router puts out 0.2% of the amount that would be dangerous. So if you swallowed several of them and left them there for a couple of years, it still wouldn't matter. Yeah, so, and you know, one thing, he does make a point that the uh, big microwave stations are a lot further away but they are transmitting at a magnitude uh, greater of power. And so even though they're further away, you can make the point that they pose a greater health threat. So unless you're going to get a couple of dozen routers and line your baby's crib, as well as put them (laughs) (laughs) through the mattresses, you're probably going to be okay. I mean, um, you're good. You have a bigger danger from the um, uh, radiation from your cell phone than you do your wireless router. Yeah, proximity has a big uh, effect. And uh, what was that event where they were strapping on the um, wireless transmitters onto homeless people? Was that the Olympics or something? Uh, no, it was uh, uh, South by Southwest in Austin. There we go, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so not only that, but if you're a physicist at all, and you may you may be interested to know that I was a physics major for a while in college, so uh, I have geekdom running through me from from uh, long since. Uh, that um, man is not creating radio waves; we're modulating radio waves that already exist. So the RF spectrum, the two point four gigahertz range, we didn't invent that. It's not that there was nothing vibrating two point four billion times per second until we invented radios we're just modulating a signal that already exists when astronomers are pointing their radio telescopes into space what they're listening for is radio because planets vibrate there's radio rf there's there's radio frequencies coming from the universe itself it's uh it's one of the the things that uh, scientists use as proof for the big bang that basically the universe is vibrating as a result of the big bang so we're not producing radio waves. We're we're harnessing radio waves that already exist. So if you're yeah, RF and on a minuscule level compared right. to what's coming in from the universe, exactly. So if you were going to um, damage your children with your Wi-Fi router, you wouldn't have had children. the The human race would have died out a couple of billion years ago, uh, as uh, as the background radiation of the universe melted their gonads. So don't worry. Yeah. About so it. just uh, focus on the emotional trauma that you can cause them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There yeah. are lots of other ways to mess up your children. Don't worry that I'm taking this one away from you. Right. <laughs> I like that. So, uh, but the the reason I knew this is actually I had done some research a while back, not because I was worried about it, but just because I was curious, uh, and I had the question in my head. Did these radio waves exist before we started pumping them out? You know, the 1930s when, uh, well, actually, go back before that, Marconi, uh, in the 1900s, before we started generating radio waves, were there any? And what I found out is, of course, way before. We just, they didn't exist until we learned how to read them. Um, another Douglas Adams, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy thing. We have <laughs> filters, right? Um, and the radio waves didn't exist until we found a way to create them, just like... Um, television it didn't exist until we found a way to see the signals atoms and germs and bacteria and viruses none of them existed till we knew about them right it's not that they weren't there it's just we didn't know and what else do we not know is there dark energy go look that up it'll freak we know it's there just can't see it yet 
Einstein used to refer to something called spooky action at a distance. That was his technical, that's what he wrote for it on a paper because he couldn't define it as anything else. Spooky action at a distance. There seems to be a relation between this atom and that atom, but I don't know what it is, and it's kind of spooky. He should have asked Heisenberg. Quantum mechanics. <laughs> he asked Eisenberg, but, uh, Eisenberg, but Eisenberg wasn't sure. He was uncertain. <laughs> that was a geek joke. That was a big-time geek joke. Um, the uncertainty principle? <laughs> yes. Yeah, see. So, uh, Ryan... Tell yeah. us a little bit about you. Now that we've done all this good geek stuff, um, how much of your uh, audio production work takes place in Linux? I mean, you said you use Pro Tools on the Mac, obviously, uh, and that's sort of uh, the standard tool uh, in in like studio recording. But but how how do you use Linux in your profession? Uh, almost. I, I don't really, uh, I have <sighs> Wrong used, answer, uh, dude. that was the whole show. <laughs> you just blew it up, but I have other things to say. Oh, okay. Uh, I've, I've used audacity a ton in, uh, you know, different Linux distributions, uh, recordings to it on laptops, things like that. So I've definitely used that. Um, and then I've, I've looked into some of the software, uh, Arador, uh, I, I haven't really done anything with it, but I've played with it. But what I've, I've heard some uh, people talking about is Reaper is going to be available native in Linux um, and already is in some kind of, um, in some way, shape, or form right now. But that's kind of what's coming. So you might be able to use something as powerful as Reaper, which is cross-platform on Mac and Windows now, and be able to build a monster machine that would be able to you know kick any computer's butt right now in current production. And, and just run a fully customized system. And that kind of thing is exciting to me. And to be able to have all the customization options, uh, as long as some of the manufacturers jump on with it, uh, that could be huge going forward. It's still probably a couple of years off, but that could be a, a game changer uh, for professional recording going forward. And right now, Mac hasn't updated the uh, Mac Pros in a long time. And a lot of people are starting to wonder if Mac is going to give up uh, on the professional market. Uh, if Apple's just not going to support it anymore, they make so much money in consumer devices that maybe they're just going to uh, turn their back on the pro market. And a lot of the audio and video guys are pretty upset about it. So we don't know what's going on there. And this could be a good opportunity for that Linux community to step in and take it over. Now, uh, your uh, partner in crime on the show, uh, uh, John, right? John? Mm-hmm. Uh, John Tidy? Yeah, is a big fan of Reaper. Does he use Reaper yep. in Linux? He uses Reaper exclusively, but not in Linux. Okay. I know. It- yeah, it's it's just starting to kind of creep in. There's kind of people talking in, in back alleyways of the internet about being able to do it, but it's not a mainstream thing yet. <laughs> and once it becomes mainstream, it won't be cool anymore. No, right. but who cares about cool? I care about functional. Yeah, there is that. Useful. Yeah, because this is your business. Yeah. So yeah. It's important. Yeah. So, uh, in, when it comes to business, I go with tried and true every time. I can't have downtime. I can't be charging somebody by the hour and say, Hey, it's just going to be a couple hours to fix this problem that should never happen. So, uh, unless it's bulletproof, I won't take it in the field. But what about the famed reliability of Linux? Why isn't that something that you should, should go to? Linux, I mean, Linux uh, gurus like to say that they haven't restarted their servers in 15 years. It's not the operating system that's the problem it's the audio drivers ah, that intermediary between the two those so that's key drivers 
that's where the work has to happen. Yes. And I, I've said that many times. And it, it's if uh, manufacturers, and, and manufacturers are notoriously bad at writing drivers for their own equipment anyway. Yeah. And so you might get something that uh, is a good piece of equipment with a bad driver, but at least it's a driver that works on this one OS. So you're certainly not going to go messing with something else. Exactly. So there's there's some work to be done yet, but once we get to a point where we can do it, uh, there's a pretty good chance I'll be doing it. So uh, other than uh, your profession, uh, what do you, what else do you do with Linux? You said almost every machine in your house, uh, other than your your work Mac, is running Linux. What what's your favorite flavor of Linux? I use a lot of the Ubuntu stuff. Uh, and then I've experimented with a lot of different of the uh, Windows managers, different GUIs. Um, I've, I think I've tried just about every one that's available. And they all do different things better than others. Uh, and some machines I will run just command line, just a server back end, and be able to get in there and just use the full power of the machine for the tasks and not making it look pretty. Yeah, I see. We've had this conversation on this show before, and I'm, uh, Seth calls himself the GUI kid, so he's a big believer in graphical interfaces, and, and so am I. I. On every server, no matter what, I always go ahead and put a GUI on it, because if you're not logged in, it's not doing anything mm-hmm. anyway, um, and and so it's nice to have that. So I, I've never believed the, the, the hype that if you don't put a GUI on, you get more performance out of the hardware, so convince me. Well, if you're using older hardware... Uh, you could definitely see a difference and you can run the tests. And I've had, uh, I have a machine that's a 500 megahertz old machine and that thing can barely limp along with even, you know, the lightest of operating systems. I ran, uh, I installed Ubuntu server on it and put a couple big hard drives in it and had it doing some, some pretty heavy tasks and it wasn't even flinching. But you try to put a GUI on that and use any of the uh, programs and maybe some of the programs are less efficiently written for uh, GUIs but in just their basic function uh, on, in the back end, they work uh, rock solid. So I've definitely been able to take a machine that should have long since died and make it work around the clock and work hard. See, I set you up for that softball because I've said the same thing too. When you're dealing with a constrained hardware environment, then absolutely uh, it's it's beneficial. But otherwise, if you're dealing with like real equipment, big time servers, like you, you wouldn't do... Uh, that 500 megahertz machine in your no. in your work, uh, you wouldn't trust that. But for just serving up files yeah, at home, or maybe turning it into a router, or having it do some specialized function that's just you know very very dumb piece of hardware, and uh, just having it routing information, make it a traffic traffic cop. Yeah, we call that around here the Boris box. When you take an old machine and you turn a make it into a, a router or a firewall, that's your Boris box, named after a, a, a surly Russian. I'm actually looking at building uh, one very soon to uh, replace our uh, Belkin router. I just want to have additional functionality. So uh, that's on my uh, to-do-soon project list. But I do like the idea of a headless box in the closet where I can just, even from my Mac, jump into a terminal and jump right on it. Headless box of the car. That's great for this yeah. near the Halloween season. Headless yeah, maybe I'll put like a, have my kids decorate it, make it look like a monster. Yeah, so like put a cape on it, you know, put it on a horse. There you the go. Headless boxman. It'll be great. And those old <laughs> machines work great as a seed box for torrents. Of course, all legal uh, downloads, Linux distributions <laughs> primarily. 
naturally. And Khan Academy. They are an awesome torrent that you should support. Take a look at that. Uh, so what else? What other Linux goodness? Because I, I first met Ryan uh, when our mutual friend, uh, um, whose name just left my head, uh, that guy, Steve Cherubino, invited him on our uh, podcasting show, The Art of Podcasting. And sometime during the setup for that show, he said, ooh, you do a Linux show? I want to talk Linux. So uh, yeah, that was only took uh, three years to get here. On here. <laughs> well, you know, I kind of forgot about him. He wasn't on the top of my head. No, we just had an opportunity. We had a, an opening. His schedule was difficult, and Chris was uh, wasn't around. So it actually turns out last minute is the yeah, best way to definitely. get him. So if, I said, yeah, hey, if you can, if, if we're someone says, "Hey, tomorrow. can you do this thing in three weeks?" I'm like, "Well, I have some jobs that might be going on that time." But if you contact me the day before, and uh, something's not happening, that's the best way to get me usually. But uh, some of the other things I like to do, I, I've used it as a media center. I've uh, set up XMBC and Boxy on Linux boxes. Uh, the main thing is uh, Android. You know, that's something that I've been talking about Linux to people for a long time. And uh, my normal friends go, yeah, yeah, whatever. Uh, who cares about Linux? I've, I've got my Windows 98 machine here. I'm, I'm happy. I started experimenting with it a long time ago. And I said, this is going to be something that you're going to be hearing about. Uh, all the servers uh, and now uh, the Android thing. It's Linux is everywhere. It's in the the TiVo. It's in our TVs. It's uh, in our uh, handheld devices. It's all around us now, and uh, people still don't know. Yeah, that's right. That we call that the hidden link Linux. We did a show a while back called um, the the hidden Linux, and you're right. It's it's everywhere. You don't know it. It's in your in your appliances. It's in your cars. It's in it's in everything. And uh, uh, I don't know that I had a point there. I was just agreeing with you. <laughs> you could say I concur. So smart words here. <laughs> yes. Yes. But yeah, and then uh, another thing for uh, having a server in the closet using things like rsync, it's a great way to do a backup over your network. And you can really get in there and customize it exactly how you want instead of, again, using some GUI and piece of software and who knows what's running behind the scenes. So uh, what what sort of stuff... Uh do you like to do? I mean, in terms of software, I mean, you said you like Ubuntu. Uh, well, let me ask that question. Why do you like Ubuntu over over the others? It's not so much I like it over the others. It's just something that I, I tried early on, and I've I've just installed it. It's easy to use. Um, the main thing is setting it up for my wife because she would have Windows machines and she would destroy them. I mean, she'd go fast through those faster than shoes and purses around here. So I finally just said, okay, you're going to try this. And she fought me. I mean, fought me for a while. And then after she got used to it and the computer has been going for years without a single incident, uh, she's like, you know what? I actually like this. It just, it just works. And that was the whole point. So that's, that's where uh, a lot of the, the computers in the house, but uh, I have an additional one where I just use it for web browsing for, uh, you know, just the basic stuff. And uh, it just, it feels good. It's light. It's fast. You can use old hardware and it doesn't feel like old hardware. And that's what I love about it. Yeah. Now uh, there's a, a project out there. I think it's defunct now. It's, it's moved on to something else, but it was called the Linux terminal server project. And their, um, uh, slogan was it's free. It works. Mm-hmm. Duh. And I always thought that we should adopt that in Linux because that's it, people ask why should you use Linux? That's it. It's free and it works. Yeah. Duh. But people are so set in their ways. Uh, my grandparents are a great example. They have an old Windows machine. It's got viruses again, 
and we've been going through this for years. And I, I had them try Linux and they're like, I, I don't know where to click. It's like the top corner, just click on that thing and it's all your same stuff. Oh, but it's not on the bottom anymore. I know, but just, you know, the slightest little changes and they, they just uh, don't want to use it. So, I mean, how do you convince someone that is that afraid of change? And sadly, that's a large yeah, chunk well, of people. Well, you can always... You can always download a Windows manager that makes it yeah. look like Yeah, I, I've played Windows. with that a little bit, too. They're, they're just... Uh, or I'm not you a could fan go of... with like a Zorin OS or a Linux uh, distro that's made to yeah, look yeah. like Windows. Yep. And right. it looks a lot like it. I might have to try that. Just sneak it in, like I'm not, not even big... tell them. Right. I'm not a big fan of the fake out. Because if you do that, eventually they bring home some $1.99 <laughs> CD that they got at the grocery store. And well, that's the whole point. I don't ever want those to work. It's not Windows. Those are what caused the problems. <laughs> right. That's a fair point. Hey, Mark, I checked in the Linux terminal server project. is still alive and well. So. Oh, okay. I'll have to look into um, that. I just thought I would share. I think they had, uh, the one I was talking about was the K12 Linux. That's right. It was based, it was a spinoff of that one. I uh, think they were going to roll that into Ubuntu at some point. I don't know if they ever did. Um, I, I was a big fan of terminal services until hardware got cheap. And then it kind of mm-hmm. was no reason for it anymore. Yeah, and I do want to build a Beowulf cluster, but I have no idea what I'd ever run on it. I just want to build it. Yeah, yeah, build a Beowulf cluster yeah. just to say you have one. Like, what are you using it for? No, I'm not using it. I just I, I built it and it works. I, I ran a test and everything said okay. I, I see all the all the, the modules and, and nodes and okay, good. I, I don't really have any scientific programs I have to run, or you know, I'm not trying to map weather patterns or anything, structure DNA. Yet. Yeah. I don't do anything, but I could if I wanted to. Yeah, I just have to find a use for it. Like, I, I want to build the machine, and I'm searching for why or what purpose I, I would need it for. So, I'm, I'm kind of going backwards on that project. <laughs> well, if you build it, they exactly. will come. Uh, so, do you find yourself with uh, an ample supply of just... Old and bar, uh, discarded computers that I you do. can do stuff with. I have with. A, a lot of old computers. They they just they just find their way here somehow. I actually just got rid of a bunch. I, I put an ad on Craigslist and said I have a ton of computer stuff. Just come and get it. And the guy just came and loaded up his whole car. And that leaves me with all of the current computers that are working, plus about four more left in the the shelf. Yeah. See, my wife finally couldn't handle it anymore, and she said, "Either do something with this." Or get rid of it. But just sitting up here, take, taking up this entire garage closet isn't serving any purpose for anyone. And I, I had yeah, to well, I always find ways to monetize things, too. And she she likes it when I bring in money. So she doesn't complain about my stuff. <laughs> so have you found a way to make money using Linux yet? Uh, I, I wouldn't say actually using Linux, but it's an excellent tool that helps me make money. Spend a lot of time on the internet and buying and selling and that kind of stuff. So it's just when, when my computer always works and there's no downtime and I can just jump yeah. on and do what I want to do, customize my workspace, get things efficient, uh, have my workflow exactly the way I want it, it, re- it really helps. So do you roll with uh, updates like 12.10 just came out? Are you going to jump right on that? Or are you one of those guys who you find something that works and you stick with it until I, it doesn't I work I pretty anymore? much have a system set up the way I like it. And I, I, I won't, but then I'll have another machine where I'll just see what's new and play with it. So I have a couple of machines going where I can, I can keep one that works and, and play with the others. Yeah. 
I used to be on that rolling update band. Every time something came out, I would update it. The, the, the latest beta, I would update it. And I realized my machine was broken a lot. <laughs> yep. Uh, and I yeah, usually let someone else kind of... Uh, <laughs> I'm spending a lot of time fixing this. Let, let the others test drive it, and then I'll jump on once everyone says it looks pretty good. I usually stay a full version behind. And especially on my Mac, I'm, I'm one or two versions behind. Because if everything's working in my studio, I don't care what's new. Exactly. Yeah, I've had that, uh, I've said that thing many times. Again, back when I was at school, people would say, why are you using old obsolete equipment? Obsolete equipment is equipment that doesn't work anymore. That doesn't mm-hmm. do what you need it to. My refrigerator is 15 years old, yeah. but it still makes ice. Yeah. It's not obsolete. Yeah. It's just old. Uh, and so I feel the same way about my computers. When they stop doing what I ask them to do, yeah. then they're obsolete. Otherwise, they're just- The only other thing about two. some of the older machines is the power draw. I can have them do cool functional stuff, but they might be drawing a whole lot of power for that. So that's that's the only time where I start cutting off older hardware is if I can have something much more efficient as far as how much juice it's drawing and I have to cut a check for. Now, when I figure out a way to make my three kids energy efficient, then I'll worry about my computers. But until then, that's like, you know, throwing a deck chair off the Titanic. It's not going to matter. Fair enough. Yeah. I walk around the house turning off lights all the time. Yeah, apparently I'm the only one in my house yeah. who knows how to turn off a light. Nobody else is capable yeah. of yeah, that. Yeah, I think you uh, figure that out about age 26, uh, and if you're male. Yeah. See, the, the way the way most men figure it out is they've got the one light bulb in the house that, that works. All the others burned out. <laughs> the bachelor bulb. they just got bulb. the one, and they have to wait for it to cool down, you know, and then they move it to the next room, and then and, and that gets to be a real pain. And then you realize your bulb, your, your electricity bill went down, and... Uh, <laughs> anyway i like when bills go down just a yes oh and <laughs> never mind oh i that had to follow up too make. i just held it yes thank you didn't the bills uh, lose today sorry did they i don't know yeah tennessee beat them i think okay a lot of sports fans on this show um <laughs> <laughs> yeah more than you might think, actually. We do have some rousing conversations about Ooh. checkers. Um, yeah. Tiddlywinks. We've had some Tiddlywinks tournaments that went on forever. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just in a weird mood tonight. I'm making more Good. bad jokes than normal. I bring that out in people. So, uh, yeah. Uh, any other comments, questions, commentary, interesting stuff before we Cool link in the chat room there. Say goodnight. Uh, about all the different uh, recording software. Yeah, I thought you might like to look at that and maybe talk about it. Because it seems like what you do, it seems like right up your alley. So. Yeah, um, I just wish my alley had more time because uh, I just, I'm constantly right. working. And I would love to play with all the new toys and find out new things. But right now, I'm just working with what I already know, what's working. And I just have to keep moving. So that's kind of where I'm at. But right. um, I'm definitely going to look through some of this stuff. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of great stuff out there. It's just uh, I wish I had more time to look at the stuff. Yeah, we all have that mm-hmm. problem. <laughs> I'm a huge proponent of Audacity. Of course, my needs are much uh, less complex than yours. I mean, I'm recording three channels right now, and on a, on a wild day, I might do a that's six. crazy talk. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, so it's it it is perfect for me. I use it. Uh, in uh in windows and linux and i think it's a great 
tool and it's of course it's free and open and all that good stuff but uh i don't do the sort of stuff that you do have you uh tried to press audacity into service and failed or just not yeah i've actually used audacity a lot and i've done a lot of live recordings with it and i have had problems with it crashing um especially on the mac um audacity in the mac seem to fight a bit i've had a lot less problems on linux and windows with audacity I've heard that from other people too. That yeah, I don't know what it is, but uh, that's what I've experienced. Well, the Mac doesn't want you to run anything that doesn't cost a ridiculously <laughs> inordinate amount. Yeah, of the money. stuff I've paid a lot of so money for it works doesn't great. meet the. Yeah, it, it, they don't want you know. Obviously, you don't need free software on a Mac, or they would give it to you. Yeah, so there's this algorithm that runs periodically and says, is there something here that they didn't pay for from us? Yeah, Yeah, give them 59 minutes, then cut it off. Right. So uh, one one other question. What is your favorite uh, open source or Linux tool for anything? uh, Anything in your Uh, life? I I really do like the SSH uh, stuff and command line and using... uh, just there's so many great commands that I, I'd use, but transferring stuff with SCP and uh, using rsync, I've gotten so much mileage out of that. Uh, great for data management, great for transferring files, great for using remote machines and remote locations. Um, I, I set up, uh, uh, like I told you, I, I don't know if that we were rolling before, but I set up a remote computer um, about 60 miles from my house at a place that I, I work at a lot that has a great internet connection. And it was just running, it was that old machine, that 500 megahertz machine, uh, just running server with uh, no GUI. And I was able to access that from a command line on my Android phone, a command line from my Mac at home, from another Linux machine. I was able to access it from anywhere. I even ran, uh, uh, there's a program in Windows where you can get command line and go SSH out. And from any computer, I can jump on that machine and run any of the commands I wanted to to send data anywhere that I was able to send data to. And that kind of stuff just got me real excited about just the power that's there without even having to do anything but type in commands and words. So that kind of stuff is pretty exciting to me. And for the uh, non-total geeks in the audience, R-Sync stands for Remote Sync. It's essentially um, a... uh, backup or copying tool it's not really backup you can use it for backup but its purpose is to copy stuff from one place to another but what makes it really special is how intelligent it is about backup it always sends what's different about the file so once you've copied the file over um, and say it's a two gig file but you only made a hundred megs worth of changes it figures out what those hundred megs are and only sends that so it's incredibly yeah, so many efficient. options you can really uh, it customize has, it and do exactly what you want right it has some built-in uh, versioning. It's crude, but it's there. You can uh, sort of roll back to different versions of files uh, with it. it. It tracks that sort of stuff. So uh, uh, it's really cool. There is a Windows equivalent, kind of, called Delta Copy. So if you're in the Windows world, you can you can set that up, um, and it will do uh, that way. That Windows and Mac both, and 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 which kind of confuses me on the Mac because it's. Uh, Unix based are very inefficient at the way they copy files over. They just copy the whole thing. They don't care. They don't pay any attention. It's just, all right, I'm going to move this from here to here. doesn't matter how much of it's changed. I'm going to overwrite the whole thing. But rsync is really brilliant in the way it does it. And it's very small. It takes up almost no resources. Like he just said, he had that 500 megs of RAM machine laying there running an S- uh, an rsync daemon. That's a 500 megahertz daemon. processor. And, uh, That's 192 sorry, megabytes yes. of RAM, sir. 
Yeah. <laughs> My mistake. Uh, <laughs> 192-500K uh, megahertz processor. So half a gig, roughly half of the speed of your iPhone or your or your uh, Android phone. So yeah, that's that, that's about that's a BlackBerry phone. Yeah, that's what that yeah, is. it's about a BlackBerry. Uh, but so without a GUI, uh, you can do. I used RSync heavily when I was a network administrator, uh, and it's a it's a great tool. And in fact, if you're a fan of Dropbox, they use they make use of RSync heavily on their servers um, to keep things. Uh, but you can run Dropbox and command line as wasting well. their bandwidth. Yeah, you can. You can. I, I did. I don't know why you would, but no. If, yeah, you you have represented our command line godfather very well. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I got heavily into. That's why I really enjoy it. I like that you can use a nice GUI and just do your basic web browsing. But then when you want to dig in, you can dig deep. Mm. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Digging deep, good stuff. Okay. Any last words of wisdom from Mister? Oh, I don't Ryan have wisdom. Canestro. I just talk Make about the things that I'm doing. All right. So we'll move on to our tips of the week. And Ryan, if you come up with a tip, uh, you have about 17 seconds while Seth talks about his. So uh, ready, go. Seth, go. Well, this is a link I came across and I thought it would be interesting to share. It is a, it's a news story that it shows photographs. This guy went through in France and he took pictures from World War II and he took a picture from the exact same spot today and kind of ghosted in the the world war ii soldiers and so you see kind of like some battle damage and uh world war ii people in the middle of modern cities in france and it's just an interesting there's 10 photos you can go through and click on them and i thought it would be interesting to share with the listeners so i put it in my link of the week yeah if you're a history buff that is really cool yeah, which I am. So, you know, that works out well for me. <laughs> Probably why you mentioned it. It's one of the things. Uh, yeah. I recently moved to uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, this part of the world has so much of the Civil War took place right here. And you can't you can't make a left turn without bumping into a, uh, a historical marker. And so I'm really uh, getting into that. But France is the same way or most of Europe, you know, is everywhere you go in Europe, uh, thousands of people died in battle. Um, and of course, if you go all the way over to, uh, the UK, you know, they've been fighting for centuries over there. So it's amazing. You can mark death. Good times. You go. So Ryan, was that enough vamping for you? Yeah, to I mean, if there's any tip I would give, especially on this show is if you're not familiar with command line, just start digging into some of the basic, uh, functions and commands. And there's so much that you can do there. You'd be, you'll be shocked. If you haven't already dug in, dig in. Yeah, because Unix began its life, and as did Linux, as a completely command line only interface. So literally anything you can do had to be done uh, by the keyboard. And GUIs came along after that, and they sort of started emulating um, the keyboard stuff in the graphical environment. So if you ask, what can I do from the command line? The and all of that anything. power of the command from day one is still intact in the command line. And there are a, a million things you can do that aren't even available in the GUI. That's true. Things that they just never got around to implementing. Because sane people nope. don't use them anymore. And I'm not sane. <laughs> All right, I'm going to call it. 
I'm going to say that's it. Thank you, Ryan. Had a great time for for being with us. I'm going to give you about uh, 30 seconds or so to plug anything you want to. Hint, hint, plug yourself. (laughs) Well, uh, you can find me at homerecordingshow.com. We do a weekly show there, all about audio. Um, and you can go to uh, ditchroadrecords.com if you're in the L.A. area and you want to come record in my studio. And uh, I have a guy building me a site. Uh, it's going to be at ryanconester.com, all about the location audio, and that's the primary bulk of my work these days, working on movies, TV commercials, all that. So if uh, any of you Linux geeks out there want to make a documentary and hire a guy at top rate, uh, I'll take your money. So contact me. <laughs> And he'll give you a, a 0.02% discount uh, if you yeah, say you're Yeah, that all goes back to the show. <laughs> all right. Thanks for being with us, Ryan. That was great. And I uh, hope you come back some other time when you have, you know, 10 minutes of of notice and uh, you want to join. Yeah, I'll definitely come back. Anytime. This is fun. If you're just sitting around sometime and say, you know, I don't do enough podcasts <laughs> in my life. Um, I want to do this some more. This week I was actually just too busy know. to even do my own podcast. So it's kind of fun to be able to come on here, and then uh, we'll be tracking our show again tomorrow for release midweek next week. Excellent. Cool. Seth, any last words from you before we say goodnight? No, I've pretty much talked myself out today. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Uh, If you're listening live, stick around for The Art of Podcasting coming up in about 40 minutes, uh, where we will talk about... Podca- uh, uh, podcasting goodness, recording an animal. good sort of stuff. If you're not listening live, if you're not listening live, uh, don't do that because your podcast player won't pick up in 20 minutes and start playing <laughs> that, most likely. Yet. So uh, you can find out more about uh, the other stuff that I do at elementop.com. That's the uh, company I created with the stupid name, um, but one that you remember. Um, I do currently five shows a week. And you can find them all there. You can find the forums there where you can hop in and leave some comments and some ask some questions. And as you've seen the last few weeks, we will read those on the air and maybe make fun of you. But that's okay. It's all in good fun. So uh, we appreciate you doing that. Uh, feedback is always uh, welcome. Uh, show topics. Tell us what you want us to hear. We call this uh, listener programmed radio for a reason. We ran out of original ideas roughly around episode 12. We've been floating ever since. So thanks for being with us. Thanks for listening, Ryan, Seth. Always a pleasure. And for now, I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Goodbye. Bye.